I would invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verses, at verse 25 and read through verse 34. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, Uh, they do not toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want to ask you to get uh, pictured in your mind Christ speaking these words to the disciples that had gathered, which was more than the twelve. It was many of those who had chosen to follow after Christ. And this Sermon on the Mount, uh, out of which this passage comes, Christ is instructing them uh, about the character of the kingdom which he is coming to institute. And he is very, as he teaches these people, he is very attuned to their lives and what they're undergoing day after day. I would remind you that the very people who are seated before Christ in this moment, as he teaches this, are people who are under an oppressive rule by the Roman Empire. They do not govern their own country. They are under the fist of another nation. And at the same time, they live under the myriad of laws and rules imposed upon them by the Pharisees. Every quarter of their life is controlled by these rules. And then there's the negative attitude of many Jews who are accusing them of doing something treasonous to Judaism by following this upstart Messiah. And so they've got a tremendous amount of pressure on their lives. And Christ says in this passage, I want to recognize what you're facing and tell you there's a better way. There's something available to you that will help you tremendously as you live out the pressures of the life uh, that surrounds you. 
And I want to suggest to you that Christ says that not only to those disciples and followers, but that his words echo down through the ages to us today. Has there ever been a generation that lives under more stress, more pressure, more constriction of time uh, than ours does? And if that group of people needed the word of Christ to tell them how in the midst of that kind of turmoil they could find peace, we need that word just as desperately, if not more so. Listen to the passage that Chip read to us this morning and see if this is not what you want. If this is not what we all want as we face the pressures the challenges, the demands of our daily life. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Who of us here this morning does not want that? Who of us here this morning would not like to know and experience firsthand the peace that God promises in that passage? Well, in order to come to that place where we can receive that peace, we need to open up this passage in Matthew chapter 6. First of all, I would like to say to you that as we prepare ourselves for the, to hear this prescription, that I'd like to talk, uh, as I have about the Sermon on the Mount, the context in which it was spoken, but I would like to say to you that there are, when we come to the interpretation of the sermon, there are at least six different views of how this sermon was proposed uh, to the people who heard it and what its intent was, and what its purpose was. I'm not going to burden you with all six of those views today, but I am going to say to you that regardless of the view that you take about the Sermon on the Mount, that the principles contained in this passage and throughout the sermon are repeated in the rest of the New Testament so that these promises of God that are available that Christ was announcing to them are available to us. And they're not only available, but it is God's challenge to us daily to receive His promise, to receive His provision as we face the challenges of our own life. Now, let's talk about, as we want to experience peace in our lives, what gets in the way of that. And that is uh, the epidemic of our time. In the change of the century from the 1800s to the 1900s, when those in the health industries were looking at the causes of disease, they looked at bacteria. The increase of stress and pressure in the human life made it so that when we changed from the 1900s to the 2000s, just 10 years ago, the concern had shifted from bacteria, not that, they, that that's a forgotten issue, But the epidemic of our time is stress and the impact that stress has on our lives. It's huge. Let me talk about that for a moment. 
First of all, the impact of stress and worry, 43% of all adults. Now, I don't know how you like statistics, but I'm going to give you a bunch. There will not be a quiz on this afterwards. Okay, so whatever you remember is fine. 43% of all adults suffer health effects due to worry and stress. About 75% of all visits to primary care physicians are stress-related complaints or disorders. Worry has been linked to all the leading causes of death, including heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidents, and on and on. An estimated 1 million workers are absent every workday because of stress-related complaints. And stress is said to be responsible for more than half of the 550 million workdays lost every year. Add to that list the mental fatigue of nights without sleep and days without peace, and we get a glimpse of the havoc, worry, and stress play in destroying the quality of our lives. That's the impact of stress upon us. Now, what causes that stress? USA Today has taken a survey, and these are the results. 36% said work is the biggest source of stress in their lives. 22% said money is. 10% children. 7% health. 5% said marriage was the greatest stress in their lives. My wife would probably say 95%. 5% parents. 5% said they had no stress at all. That means 95% of the rest of us got stress in our lives. Now, when we default to worrying about the stress, what good does it do? What's the effectiveness of worrying? Well, 40% of what we worry about uh, turns out never to happen. 30%, when we find out, has already happened. 12% is unfounded, 10% is our health, and the last 8% are actual problems that we need to do something about. That means that 92% of worry is useless. I want to say to you that worry, while it might just seem an innocuous kind of thing, if we get hold of the Greek word here that Christ uses three times, in this passage, the Greek word means to be literally pulled apart, to be pulled in different directions, to be stretched, and even to be broken. So worry, when it enters our lives and becomes the center of our focus, rips us apart and causes us to undergo even more stress than the situation itself places upon us. Now, I want to say to you, that uh, worry is, I think, yes. I want to say that worry is not the same thing as, I'm technologically challenged now, I want you to know that. Uh, I may, there are only three buttons on this thing. <laughs> I, I may press the wrong one again. <laughs> Stand by, we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, worry is... How do I get back to this now? (laughs) Worry is not the same thing as concern. I think when we're faced with challenges and difficulties, they may raise concerns for us. And we understand that there are things that need to be done, to be dealt with, to be responded to. 
And if we call on God's strength and seek God's leadership to meet that need in our lives, that's very, very different than going inside ourselves to worry and to try to apply and accomplish all of that in our own strength. So concern is a good thing when it moves us to recall, to respond to God's call upon our lives and trust him. Concern becomes worry when we try to turn that inward and think about how we're going to meet that need, how we're going to respond, how we're going to deal. Now then, in this passage of scripture, there are three negative perceptions and imperatives. That is, Christ is saying, if you want peace in your life, there are three things I want to encourage you not to do. First of all, before he gets to the positive, he deals with the negative. And so he says that there are three issues in our lives that we spend time worrying about. That is about food, clothing, and the length of our life. So let's take first of all food. There are people in our world who will go to bed hungry tonight. And they don't know if there's going to be food for them tomorrow. And God is saying, Christ is saying that God is saying to them at this moment, you can spend your energy and your time worrying about whether you'll have food tomorrow or you can rely upon God's provision. One of those two. Now, most of us in this room are not concerned about if we will eat tomorrow, but we may be concerned about what we will eat tomorrow. And I would say to you that either way, food can become an obsession for us. Thinking about not having it, or thinking about with great anticipation what we are going to eat. Food can become an obsession, and then some folks tell us it even becomes an addiction. So either way, food can occupy our time, our thinking, our attention, so that that time focusing on food shuts us down, short circuits our desire to seek God's will and God's purpose in our life around all of that. The second thing he says don't think about is clothing, what you will wear. Now, again, there are those people in this world and around us who do worry about if they'll have something to wear tomorrow. Others of us will stand in full of an absolutely full closet tomorrow morning and wonder what we should pick out to wear. So just like food, whether we have little or we have a lot, clothing can become an issue for us that short circuits our dependence on the Lord. Now, I don't want to be accused of gender bias here, but I'm wondering, I'm just wondering now, women, if this is not more a command to women than it is to men. Because let me give you my perception now of local stores. Here it is. Now, a woman comes in the door and goes immediately, I mean, she cannot miss it. It's right there and walks in and spends oftentimes hours looking at the 972 racks of clothing that are in this one section of the store. And she thinks about color and 
fabric texture and style and the way it's made. And she picks up this and walks over and will it match with that? And she puts together not just a single item of clothing, but a coordinated outfit. And boy, it looks good, right? All right. And then, by the way, uh, she goes from there up to the accessories. And that's where the the purses and the shoes and the gloves and the scarves and all of that is. See, so, I mean, it takes a lot of time to go through all of this. A man, on the other hand, walks in this door, walks straight, if he can find it, this tiny (laughs) little men's section back here. And he walks in, if he encounters a salesperson, he says, I want a shirt. (laughs) Salesperson says, fine. What color would you like? The man says, long sleeve. (laughs) Well, that's great. What fabric do you want? What material do you want it made out of? Large. (laughs) And so the salesperson said, well, here are long sleeve, large shirts. Good, I'll take this one. And the salesperson says, how in the world are you going to coordinate anything with that color? And the man says, coordinate? (laughs) Yes, coordinate. I mean, you got to put things together. You know, you have to cause one thing to complement the other, and you're concerned about the total presentation. And the man says, presentation? That's right. And so he just grabs this shirt, one off the rack that's closest to him, and he makes a beeline from the men's department to the checkout counter, and he's out the door, total time, 12 and a half minutes. Now, I don't know whether all that's true or not, (laughs) but I would say to you that clothes or anything else that so captures our attention and our focus oftentimes can become an obsession, can become an addiction, can become almost anything, and its impact is that it draws us away from the sensitivity of God's presence and God's provision in our lives. How much better it is as we approach any challenge or need in our lives that we go first to the Lord and say to the Lord, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do, to be, to choose in this situation? I want to trust you, Lord. I want to lean on your provision. The next thing the Lord says is that you cannot add to your life one hour by worrying about it. This mouse on this mouse wheel, it is said that in the lifetime of a mouse, they would typically travel 900 miles on that mouse wheel. But you know what? After they've traveled their 900 miles on that mouse wheel, they ain't one inch further in direction than when they began. And I just wonder if it's possible for us to go through our lives worrying and concerned about all that life presents to us, worrying about how long we will live and what we will be able to accomplish. Spending time worrying about all of that is like this mouse on this wheel. And God says there's a better way. There's a way to be sure that when you 
want to focus on moving forward in your life. I have gone before you and I've prepared the way. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says that God has created us and saved us for good works, which he has prepared for us in advance. The things that God wants us to do are already out there for us. And we can either choose to be on this treadmill worrying about what life is a, has ahead for us, or we can be on God's pathway meeting those appointments for service and for work that God has already set up for us. Do you know that? I invite you after this service to go read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that says that He saved us for good works and the good works He's already appointed for us ahead of time. He's already made the appointments for us. And that's how our lives grow and develop. That's how our lives count, by staying connected with the Lord, following His leadership into those things that He already has prepared for. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God, every single person in this room, God has already got things uh, appointed in your life that He wants you to do in trust and reliance upon Him. And that's the way your life develops That's the way your life is transformed. That's the way your life matures, doing what God leads you to do. Now, next, don't uh, be like the Gentiles. The point here is this, that the Gentiles, and this is a, a term used for unbelievers, people who do not have a relationship with God, that their life is characterized by this kind of worry. And if the people of God act in the same way as the Gentiles who don't have God in their lives, and we act the same way by worry and responding to stress the same way they do, there is no difference. And they can't see the difference. They don't know what difference God can make in their lives. But you let a Christian face something that's overwhelming and the world looks in on how the Christian responds to that. And the Christian responds by a walk with God and a trust in his resources that brings the kind of peace into his or her heart that we started this sermon with. The outside world looks in and says, how do you do that? And man, I wish I had what you have. Christ is talking about the opposite situation when we don't live that way. The pagans look at us and say, what difference does it make if you're a child of God? And then finally, don't worry about tomorrow. That is, he is saying that we can get so caught up in our fear about what tomorrow will bring that we become paralyzed in trying to live out today. He says in here that every day will have enough trouble for its own self. And what we do when we worry about tomorrow is we reach from today into tomorrow and we take the troubles that belong tomorrow and we pull them in today. Let me remind you of a passage of scripture in Lamentations, the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 22 that says, God's mercies are new. Finish that for me. Every morning. Every morning. My picture in my head that comes to me when I think about that is 
that every morning God meets me, waits for me to wake up and says, there are going to be some challenges for you today, some things for you to face. And here's the load of mercies straight from me to you that you'll need to rely upon today to draw from those things to meet those challenges. Not for tomorrow, but today. I want you to rely upon me and trust me. Here are the mercies I have for you. Lamentations 3 says they're new every morning. I wonder, are you willing tomorrow morning, I'd like to ask you to make this commitment, to wake up and say before you get out of bed, Lord, I know this day is going to face me with decisions, with challenges, with things that may press in on my life. But Lord, I want to to receive the mercies that you have for me to enable me to get through this day in a way that honors you. Would you be willing to do that? And every day after that, and I believe it will transform our lives because that begins our day by saying, Lord, I am dependent upon you for the resources to meet whatever's going to come my way today. And when we have that attitude, we're not reluctant and we're reminded to be constantly in God's presence, keeping that flow coming, keeping it coming. I would challenge you to commit to do that. Now, I love this quote from St. Augustine. Thou hast commanded, and so it is, that every inordinate affection should be its own punishment. Christ gives us three negatives in here. Don't worry about food and drink. Don't worry about extending your life. Don't live like the pagans. Don't worry about tomorrow. And when we focus on those things, they become so possessing that each one of those things is its own punishment to our lives. The only alternative then is to trust the Lord. Why is worry so bad? Well, I think I have some answers. I wouldn't put the question up there if I didn't have some answers. Okay, It intrudes on God's provision. That is, God wants to bring into our lives His mercy and grace in a kind of way that empowers our lives to serve Him. He's got things prepared for us, as I've already alluded to, that he's already thought through. And he's already knowing, because he created each one of us, what we can do and what our gifts and abilities and talents are. And he says, for you and for you and for you and for you, I have some things that I want you to do today and that you are uniquely prepared by me to do those jobs. And I want to provide to you all that you need to do today in terms of strength and encouragement and mercy to do those jobs. And we say, whoa, no, Lord, (laughs) I'd rather worry about this one. Well, while we're saying, Lord, I'd rather worry about this one, all those provisions that God wants to give us to strengthen us, to enable us, they don't come. And we miss out on God's provision. The psalmist says, Yea, 
Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And when we're saying, Lord, I'll walk through this valley of the shadow of death by myself, then there's no rod, there's no staff, there's no presence of the Lord to go with us through it. How we hold off what God wants to give us when we choose to depend on ourselves instead of depending on God. I'm going to close with an illustration about that today. Secondly, it exhibits a lack of trust in God. I mean, do we trust God to do what He says or not? And when we worry, we're saying, God, I don't believe you can pull this off. Third, it affects our relationships. When we're captured by the worry and the stress of our lives, we cannot relate to others with the same level of freedom and openness as when we're captured with our worries. It damages our health. I've already given you some statistics about that. And last, it harms our witness. As I said, God intends for his people to live as a manifestation of his glory and his grace. And when we're worried, then we're acting just like the pagans who don't have that grace and that glory. So it harms our witness. Now, finally, how do we find peace? What is it that Christ is offering here? Well, first, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Let's look at that. Seek. What's he talking about? He's talking about an intention to turn to God and to seek God's face and to open our lives for the entrance and the enablement of God's power and his blessing and his mercy. It focuses the whole matter upon God. You see, because the second issue is God's character. Now, stay with me on this one. God comes and he says, I want to promise you something. I want to promise you that if you seek me, my kingdom and my righteousness, I will deliver to you all the things that you need to do my will. Now, the question is, do we believe God or not? That's the key issue in this whole matter. Do we trust him? Do we believe he is who he says he is? Do we believe he'll do what he says he'll do? When we worry, we're saying, God, I'm going to handle this one. I don't believe you can. Or I don't believe that you'll provide what you said you'll provide. I don't believe, God, that you'll come through in this circumstance. I'm just one person lost in a huge sea of humanity. How can you spend time dealing with my situation? God says, there's not a hair on your head that I don't know about. My friends, as we face the challenges and stresses of this world and this life, this is the issue that stands before us. God says, I stand here ready to respond to your need, but it's your choice. I will not force in where you don't choose. So do we trust God? Or do we not? And I'd like to say that this is one of the key issues in my life. 
that I find my default position is to be faced with something and first thing, without even thinking about it, begin to plan how I'm going to respond to that. And it's only down the road after I began to realize I'm frustrated and I'm not making much progress that I say, Lord, (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, You know, I'm down this path and I haven't even asked, Lord, if this is the path you want me to be on. Every evening in my devotion time, I have a time of confession and that's something I always have to confess. Lord, my default is to jump into this with both feet and only then later say, Lord, is this what you want? And is this what you're leading me to do? If you're that way, then you need this message as badly as I do. Because the Lord wants us to be in relationship with Him. The third thing is, as I have just said, the challenge is to trust God. And when we do that, God provides what we need to do His will. What we need, not necessarily what we want, or not necessarily what we need at the moment we think we need it. But God has promised bottom line, to provide what we need to do His will. Now, I know there are situations into which Christians find themselves sometimes when it appears that God's not providing anything. But I want to tell you that even in those moments, God knows. Christ says in this passage, God knows what we need. And then in verse 33, He promises to provide those needs. And so I would invite you, as I invite myself, to think about this, to consider this, and to begin to practice our default position that when we're faced with challenge, that we don't immediately go to our own strength, but our response would be immediately, Lord, what is it that you have for me I want to seek your kingdom, your righteousness, and I want to see your power enable me to deal with this, not my power. Could we begin to promise to do that today? John Ortberg, uh, in his article, Taking Care of Busyness, says this, For most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed And preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of our faith. Settle for a mediocre version of our faith. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living our lives. Oh, my friends, that we could know and experience the fullness of what God has for us. I love this quote by St. Augustine. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's the only place. Are you driven by the stress of this life? The only place to find rest and peace in the midst of all of this is in relationship to God. They're restless until they find their rest in thee. Now, this is the slide that you've been 
looking for the whole time. This is the end. An illustration from Numbers 13, and I'm through. I would remind you that God brought His people Israel out of the land of Egypt in miraculous and wonderful ways. And you just need to go back and read that history of Exodus to see how God so faithfully provided for His people. And He promised them a promised land that they would possess for their own land. And He brought them right to the door of that promised land, having experienced God's wonderful miracles just to get them there. But before they went, they did what was really a very judicious thing, and that was to send 12 spies into the land to check it out to see what was there and what the encampments of who would turn out to be their enemies were. Where were their strongholds and so forth? And so the 12 spies went into the land, sent out and commissioned by the whole nation of Israel. And they came back. And as one, they said, it is a land of milk and honey. It is as God has promised. And they brought back some of the produce to prove that. But then 10 of the 12 said, but we can't take it because the people who live there are too strong. There are even giants in the land. And therefore what God has promised to us now is a a cruel mockery because we've so looked forward to this, but there's no way we can take it. Caleb and Joshua stood before the congregation and said, we're well able to take it. Let's go. Let's get ourselves together and go possess what God has promised. We can take it because God has promised it to us and God will fight the battle for us. That, my friends, is an illustration of the decision that faces us multiple times every day. You know what happened? Because the ten prevailed and the whole nation Israel began to moan and to groan and to become defeated, that that generation, God said, had to wander in the desert until they all died uh, out of that generation. And only the new generation then was taken into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, who had stood before the congregation and said, we can do it because God is with us. Do you see the impact? When you say we can't do it, that's us. That's us relying on ourselves. And look what happened. God's provision and blessing was withheld from them. If they had done what Joshua and Caleb said, God's provision would not have been withheld. It would have been enjoyed. And they would have experienced the fullness of all that God had promised to them. Do you see the key point? Do you see why it's so incredibly important to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? And all these things will be added to you. Will you bow with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I I know there's not a person here today that says, this is about me. 
I face stress like that. I face challenges and difficulty. This is about me. Lord, help each one of us in the midst of that kind of concern to hear your voice. Your voice saying, I want to give you peace. The peace that I alone can provide. And you can receive that peace. You can know it and experience it by seeking first the kingdom of God. First the kingdom of God. Lord, if there is that one here this morning who does not know the joy of that relationship with you, I pray, God, that your spirit would so speak and so create in their heart a hunger for a relationship with you that they would hear the good news that Jesus has died and paid the price for their sin and has opened the door to heaven for them if they will but trust him. That wonderful passage of scripture that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh God, help every person here who does not know you, who has not received your love that way, to say yes to you today. To say, God, I need a Savior, and I know that Christ is that Savior whom I need. I trust him now. I accept him now. I invite him into my heart and life. And my friends, again, the promise of God is if you do that, you're now in the family of God. You can now begin to talk to the Lord about the very peace about which we've been speaking this morning. And now, our Father, I pray for all of us that we'll go from this place with a new and deep-seated commitment to turn to you first to trust you when you say you are who you are and that you'll do what you say you'll do, to rely upon that, to count upon it without wavering. And then, Lord, we know that we will see in our lives the unfolding of your will and your purpose and that you'll be able to declare your glory to the world around us. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.